The reading today comes from the book of Mark, the first chapter, verses 1 through 13. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, hey, welcome, Providence, to our first ever Sunday gathering. My name is Andrew. I am, we're kind of excited. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and I do have to say, before we go anywhere, um, we are just so thankful to so many of you that have made this Sunday happen. You know, if you're new, we, we've spent the last few months starting groups and training and equipping But even just over the last couple weeks, there have been so many people who have put in hours to make signs and graphics and videos just to help us celebrate. There have been people who have prayed for weeks for this moment specifically. There have been people who got here yesterday to make burritos that we could all enjoy the hundreds of burritos that I think we still have left over. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting. And there was people here hours ago this morning, like I've been here for six or seven hours, who got chairs ready and sound equipment and everything else, the kids stuff downstairs. I mean, we believe here at Providence that the church is a people, right? It's not just a building, it's not a place. And, and for us to launch needed you guys as, as a people to do this. And, and so we just want to say thank you. So many of you put in so much time and effort, uh, and it means a ton to make this happen. And if you are new, like Jared said, we are excited that you're here. You see, we plant churches because we believe that Jesus actually is continuing his mission, that there's more hearts that he wants to transform, that there's more areas of our city and neighborhoods and the nations that he wants to change and transform. And so we plant churches to do that. We plant churches to reach new people. So if you're new here today, we're planting this church for you to find a home here at Providence. You know, the, the unique thing is that we're planting this new church, but the reality is we're planting a new church to reach new people, but we've got the same message of the same Savior for the same purpose, that God gets glory, Jesus gets praised, and people get saved. Amen? I mean, that's what we're doing. That's what we're about here at Providence, that we are centered on Jesus. 
And so as Jared and I were talking uh, the last few weeks or a couple months, we were talking about, okay, well, what do we actually talk about on that first Sunday, right? Like you get one shot to plan a church. And so we're trying to think through, okay, what do we actually do? We've got burritos and balloons and all this stuff, but what are we going to preach on? Like what's our sermon series going to be? And so we were talking about it and we had all these different ideas and it kind of came down to, we're like, okay, well, if we're going to be a church about Jesus, we're going to be centered on Jesus. Let's just look at the life of Jesus, right? It's it kind of like, well, I mean, that... It's pretty innovative, I know, and that kind of shows you maybe the weakness of Jared and I's thought process. We're like, well, we want to be about Jesus, so let's just look at Jesus, and we'll do that. And so uh, what we're going to do is for this fall, for the first nine weeks of our church's life, we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark. Okay, we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark, because we believe that the entire Bible centers around Jesus, that, that either the Bible's pointing forward to Jesus or looking back to Jesus, but there's this unique genre of four books in the Bible called the Gospels, and these four books actually tell the life of Jesus, and so by studying Mark, what we get to see is we get to see, okay, what was Jesus like? What did he do? Who did he hang out with? What type of stuff was he around? How did he live, and how did he die? And the reason that I love Mark so much uh, is because it's, it's quick, it's fast-paced, it's action-packed, it's fairly clear to understand, which is nice for me. And uh, the best thing, though, is it just makes much of Jesus. The whole thing is purely about Jesus. He's like a, a filmmaker who is telling this story, and he kind of puts Jesus in color and everything else kind of in grayscale. Like, as we're going to read through this, you'll kind of see what I'm talking about, that we'll meet other people and other situations, but it's very clear who the main character is, that, that Jesus is the protagonist. He's the, the main character in the story, and he kind of pops off the page as everything else is just trying to help us understand Jesus. And so what Mark does is he kind of nicely for us splits his gospel in half a little bit. So the first half, Mark addresses the question, Who is Jesus? Like, who is this man that he's going to write about? And then the latter half talks all about what did Jesus do? What was his mission? So he splits this up to look at who Jesus is and what did Jesus come to do? And so what we're going to do as a church is this fall, we're going to look at that first half. And we're going to just take some weeks and just look at who is Jesus. We want to be a people who see Jesus and are centered on Jesus. So we're just going to ask that question each week. Who is Jesus? And then in the spring, we're going to pick Mark back up. And as we move towards Easter, we're going to look at, okay, then what did Jesus come to do as we move towards Easter? So that's kind of what our plan is. This fall, we're going to consistently, week in and week out, ask the question, who is Jesus? So if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 1, if you haven't yet. Mark chapter 1 is where we'll be in this morning. And as you're doing that, um, you can probably all tell we're a little bit excited for this morning, right? Like I, it's been crazy. I, you know, we were talking about it this week that it was 12 months ago that we set this date as our launch date. Like we committed to this thing last September and we just said, hey, why don't we just start the week after Labor Day, September 10th, that's our launch date. And so for 12 months, we've just been kind of longing for this day to come. And I got to tell you that 12 months There was a ton of excitement. 
there was quite a bit of stress. There was many, many hours put in. There was like gallons of coffee drank. But we got here, right? But there was this thing in me specifically over the last few months that was just longing to get to this day. Like it caused a few sleepless nights. It was stressful. It was exciting. But I just had this desire. I just wanted to get here. I just wanted this day to finally come. Have you ever had a moment like that where, where there was something that you just deep down inside of you were just longing for? Like a, a specific day or someone or something that you were just longing to see or do? I know for a lot of you college students, uh, I was this way too. When I was in college, I was longing for that graduation day, right? Like you knew that it was coming and maybe it was five years or five months in the distance, but you just kind of have this like longing. I just want to get done. Like I want to move on. That was kind of a stepping stone to do something else. And you don't want more books or tests or finals weeks or living with weird people in the dorms. Like you don't want to do that anymore. You're just done. And you have this longing, like I just want to get past this and move on. Or maybe some of you, maybe you're in the engagement season or you remember the engagement season and it's like the weeks just kind of slowly go by and you're just longing for that wedding day. You just want to get to that day so something else can come and and we long for that stuff. Maybe uh, if you're like us, my wife and I, we're having our first baby right now and she's just entering into the third trimester. And I know for some of you ladies who have had kids, you probably know like that third trimester just creeps on by and you're just longing like please can I just have this kid already right there's something in you that's just I'm done with this I want this kid out of me and we long for things like that right we we do this all the time maybe it's for a promotion maybe it's for an answer to a life-altering question but we we do this we have things that we long for and I think if you look historically the people of God for thousands of years similarly had something they were longing for. You see, for years, God promised his people that he was going to send one man. He was going to send a savior or a Messiah or a Christ. And he was going to send this person to them and he was going to save them. He was going to save them from their sins and he was going to bring them into a a new life and a new kingdom. And so for thousands of years, the the Old Testament people of God are being told, it's coming, he's going to come, I promise this, and it's slowly being revealed to them. And and as they didn't know fully what it was going to be like or who he was or when it was coming, they kept longing for that day to see him. They kept being promised that one day he would finally come. The anticipation had been building for thousands of years for these people. Generation after generation wondering, is God going to be faithful to this promise? And then we get the gospel of Mark. You see, Mark, it's the second gospel in our Bibles, but it was actually written first. So this is the first story of Jesus written down in Scripture. And this is how Mark starts his gospel. Look at verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ, the Son of God. So if you were to think of a a title or a heading for Mark, other than just Mark, right? If there's something more creative, if Mark was to give this a title, I think it would be this verse. This is kind of the heading for his book. It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, for thousands of years, people were longing to see this Christ come. For thousands of years, they were waiting to see, is God going to be faithful on his promise to deliver us? And Mark begins his gospel with this like punch. He's like, hey, this is the story of the Christ. The one you've been longing for, 
has come. And let me tell you who he is. And so the question that we're going to look at for the first nine weeks is simply, who is he? Who is Jesus? This man that people have been longing for for thousands of years, this man that proves God's faithfulness, who is Jesus? And the first thing from our section today that Jane read for us is that Mark wants us to know right off the bat that Jesus is the Son of God. The very first thing that's going to set the tone for the rest of the book is that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I know that that can seem distant or kind of far out there, right? Like if you're, if you're not a Christian or you haven't been to church in a while and you think we're talking about God's sons and sons of God's and all this, stuff, it can seem like that doesn't have any relevance to me, right? Or maybe you're a Christian in the room and you've heard this a thousand times and you think, okay, I get it, Jesus is the Son of God. But I think that this matters actually a lot to us today because Mark is going to communicate that this Jesus, this Son of God, is worthy of your praise, your heart, and your entire life. Like, if Jesus is the Son of God, then he deserves everything from you. If this be true, it matters to even us today. And the reality is, as we said just a little bit ago, that we long for something more in us, right? We're, we're always longing for something new or something to better ourselves or somewhere to give our heart and our affections and our mind and our value. We always are trying to find new things, right? We try to find new hobbies. We try to find new careers, new people to hang out with, new uh, ways to make money, new ways to get healthier, new ways to stay connected on social media, new people to follow We always do, we're trying to find new things or better things to give our hearts to, to give our time to, and really to give our praise and worship and and affections towards. But Mark wants to communicate that that longing in you for something better, for something new, is proving that there's something inside of you that's actually longing for the one that can satisfy it. And he's going to say that that longing is similar to the thousands of years of people longing for this Christ, this Son of God. And if Jesus is who this book says he is, then he is the only one that deserves your heart, your mind, and your soul. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to quickly show you through these first few verses um, how Jesus is the Son of God and why that actually matters. Right? It's not enough to just know that Jesus can be the Son of God. It's got to actually matter to us. And so we're going to do this through two ways. So i got two points for this morning. The first one is we're going to see the preparation for the Son, and then we're going to see the validation of the Son. All right, the preparation for the Son, and then the validation of the Son. So first, let's look at the preparation for the Son. Now remember, I said, for thousands of years, God's been promising things about this Christ, but one of the promises he made is that you would know it is him because God was going to send one before him. He was going to send a messenger before him crying out to let you know that the one following him is actually the Christ. So look with me at verses two through four. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold... I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. 
John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So Mark's essentially saying here that all the Old Testament was pointing us to this Savior, this Christ that would come, and that before that, a messenger would come, that that he was going to say, prepare the way, that there's a Savior coming. And immediately in the next verse, he says, and then John appears. Now, this isn't John, the, the disciple of Jesus, who wrote the books of the Bible. This is actually John the Baptist. And he had a unique role in life because his role was to fulfill that promise. That This is a humbling thing. His entire life, his whole message was, I'm not important, but the one right behind me is. Right? Like, I'm not a big deal, but I'm going to keep telling you about this one that's coming. Because this one that's coming is the one that we have been waiting for. That's John's message. Look at verse 7 with me. John says this. He preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am unworthy to stoop down and untie. John's whole message was not about John, but the one that would follow him. So think about it this way. Uh, If you've ever seen the State of the Union address, okay, I don't know if you guys have have watched that or not, it's kind of a young crowd, maybe you haven't, but in the State of the Union, before uh, anything kind of happens, you get kind of this grand setup, okay? And so what happens is uh, all of the, the powerful people in government come into this room. And so you've got the Senate and the House of Representatives and the Supreme Court and the, the President's Cabinet. You've got all these people that have shaped and led government, some of them for years. I mean, these are powerful people in this room. And in the midst of all the chaos and all these people, suddenly there comes out this man... And uh, he's called the sergeant at arms. I don't know if you guys heard of this title, but this is the sergeant of arms. This is a role for him. And in his one primary role that night is to say eight simple words. He walks out and he says, Mr. Speaker, the president of the United States. That's his whole role. And then after him walks in the president of the United States and people, they're all these powerful government officials stand in reverence and respect. They usually clap for this president because of who the president is. And the sergeant at arms doesn't do anything else. He, he presents that, he steps out of the way and the president then walks down in this room. This is what John is doing. He's coming out saying, look, it's not about me But I'm here to tell you that there's one coming. The Christ is coming. He is here now. He is about to come. The one you've been longing for for years is now here. The one that our fathers had been longing for, the Abraham and Moses and David, all these men that were longing to see the Christ, he's here. He's coming. Mark beautifully adds this in to show us that Everything God had promised in the Old Testament, the whole first part of your Bible, everything that God was promising was about to come true and be fulfilled in the one that John was shouting about. And I do want to stop for a second before we move on and just simply ask, because I wonder if any of you have ever questioned or wondered if God was truly going to be faithful to you. Have you ever wondered, like, can I truly rely on God? Like, is he really going to be faithful? Can, can I put my trust and hope in God? It seems like I've had unanswered prayers for years. Can, is he really actually going to deliver? 
It seems like he's too far off and too distant. Does he really actually care about me like this book says? I wonder if he ever even could care about me or if he would care about me. Is God actually going to be who he says that he is? Have you ever wondered, is God going to be faithful to his promise? If you ever questioned that, if God is faithful, I would suggest to you look no further than the cry of John the Baptist. I mean, look no further than this section. The people of God for thousands of years wondered the same things. If that's you this morning, that's me this morning, we're not alone. People for thousands of years wondered, is God actually going to deliver? Things seem too tough for God to make this work. God seems to have abandoned us. For thousands of years, they wondered this same exact question. Would God come through? Would he actually send one to save? And then they get this crazy guy coming out of the wilderness in this camel skin and eating locusts and honey, and he's shouting out, look, he's coming. The one that you're longing for is actually here. He's about to come for us. And so friends, if you've doubted God's faithfulness, even this morning, look no further than God sending Jesus Christ. The fact that he sent Jesus is proof that the promises of God will be fulfilled, that he will be faithful. John the Baptist came as a preparation for the son. But if you're still not convinced, if a crazy guy out of the wilderness shouting Old Testament scriptures doesn't convince you, I love Mark because he goes on to even make his case even more. He says, look, this is happening, but let me prove it to you again. So we see the preparation for the son, but now we'll also see the validation of the son. So look with me in Mark 1, starting in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So in these verses, what we're going to see is the Father, God, actually validating that this is the Son, the one who I was sending, the one who John is talking about, it is this man. We see that in the baptism of Jesus, right? So you get this scene where John's baptizing people and Jesus comes and asks to get baptized. And so as John is dunking him and pulling him out of the water, it says the the heavens are torn open. The Father speaks to affirm Jesus as his Son, and the Spirit indwells him. Now, when it says that, that Jesus calls, or fa- the Father calls Jesus his Son, what that doesn't mean is that at some point the Father's eternal, and he kind of conceived Jesus at some point, and then he was eternal, and then he came to earth. It doesn't mean that the Father's kind of the true God, and then there's Jesus, who's kind of his little kid, who he just like lets hang out with him, right? It, it, it doesn't mean any of those things. You see, the title of Son of God does not have to do with origin, but it has to do with purpose. This title that he gives him as the Son of God doesn't really have to do with origin. It has to do with purpose, Because again, remember, we have to uh, remember the context that this was written in. And so Mark, he's writing to a primarily Roman 
a church of non-Jews. Now, these Romans, they understand the concept of God's sons and then the sons of the gods, right? They have Roman gods and Greek gods. They, they get that. But the question they didn't usually ask is, well, but exactly who gave birth to who? I mean, they had some of those stories, but they weren't as concerned about the rationality of, is this possible? They, they were concerned with, okay, but what's this son's power, What's his purpose? Okay, this is the son of this God. Well, what does he do? What's his function? How does he relate to us? You see, they're not as concerned about origin as they are with purpose. And so the question for them is, okay, if Jesus is the son of God, the true God, Yahweh, the one true God, if Jesus is his son, well, what type of son is he? What does he do? What's his function? What is he going to be like? And if Mark is going to consistently tell us that Jesus is the Son of God, and if I'm going to say Jesus matters and you should center your life on him, then it's a fair question to ask, okay, well, what's he like? What type of leader is he? What does it mean that he is the Son of God? So if we look biblically to answer this, what we're going to find is that there was a prophesied Son of God that had two main functions or two categories that would define him. This son was going to be an authoritative king and an atoning sacrifice. It was told that the son of Yahweh, the son of God, was going to be an authoritative king and an atoning sacrifice. Let me show you quickly. In Psalm 2, we see one of the best uh, pictures of him being an authoritative king. So in Psalm 2, the whole psalm is about uh, how the kings and the rulers of the earth have kind of set themselves against God. Right? They have done their own thing, that everybody has gone their own way. They, they don't want to worship God. They don't want a part of God. They want to just do their own thing. It says they don't worship God, but they, they sit in wickedness. But then... God says that he is going to send a leader, a king, an anointed one, to rule over all the nations. There was going to be one that was actually going to be the king over all the nations. He would bring justice and salvation to all peoples. And then in Psalm 2-7, God says of that king, he says, you are my son. He's saying, it will be the son of God, my son, who will be the king that rules over the nations. It would bring the son of God that would bring refuge and hope to those who are far off. It would be the son of God who would rule and reign for eternity, who would bring light into darkness and hope into brokenness. And the psalm ends by, by a plea. It's saying, look, kiss the son. Or in other words, he's saying, Humble yourself before the sun. Lower yourself to the sun. And the sun becomes the dividing line. That, that for all who humble themselves before this king would find refuge in him. All who stayed in rebellion against the king would perish. That it would all come down to the king. If you placed your faith and hope in the king, you would live and you would find refuge. If you didn't, you would perish. See, the Son of God was going to be the ultimate and authoritative king. But second, the Son of God was also going to be an atoning sacrifice. So this idea of an atoning sacrifice, we get most clearly, I think, from uh, from this passage back to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. And there, 
we find the story of Abraham and Isaac. So Abraham was this old man who God promised, you're going to have a son. And when he has this son, Isaac, God comes to him one day and says, okay, now I want you to go up to this specific mount and I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, we know, I think, that we can make this correlation from our verse to Genesis because the language of how this is written is actually very similar. And the Bible often does this. When the language is similar, it's trying to tie things together. Because you see, in Mark 1.11, the actual uh, wording of this is God says, you are my son, my beloved. Or you are my son, the one whom I love. Now, to make that easier to read, we just say, you're my beloved son. It's the same idea, but the language actually kind of splits it. You're my son, the one whom I love. Now, Mark knows that that should trigger the story in Genesis 22 when God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, take your only son, the one whom you love. Take your son, Isaac, the one you love. It's the same language to tie these stories together because in Genesis 22, Abraham begins to obey God and he takes his only son, the one whom he loves, and he's about to offer him as a sacrifice to God. And he lays him down on the altar and he's about to perform this and God stops him. God stops him and says, look, look, you don't have to do this. I'm actually going to provide the sacrifice for you. And so in the moment, he provides this goat that Abraham can sacrifice, but that wouldn't be the final fulfillment. Now, you see, thousands of years later, God was going to send his own son, the one whom he loves, his beloved, as the ultimate sacrifice. You see, the son wasn't just going to be the king. He was going to be the ultimate fulfillment of the sacrifice God promised in Genesis 22. And we can't miss this either, that Jesus, when he took his cross to go up the mount, he goes to the same exact spot where Abraham was spared, where Isaac was spared, and where God promised, I will provide a sacrifice. And thousands of years later, Jesus, the Son of God, goes to the same spot, and he is sacrificed. God offers up his Son so that he could be the sacrifice for us. For the sins of of us, and for, for all of us in the room, for my sins, and my brokenness, and my hurt, and my pain... Jesus took the cross on that mount that God promised, I will deliver a son. You see, the son was always going to be this king that would rule, that would give refuge to the peoples of the world, and that would come from him dying a death that he didn't deserve. That would come from him dying on the same hill that Isaac was spared. That would come by breaking his body and shedding his blood so that by faith, we can actually be united to him. We can kiss the sun. We can humble ourselves before him. So the final question then that we need to ask ourselves is if the son of God was prophesied about, that he was going to be the king and the sacrifice. If this is the one that, that Mark wants us to set our minds on for the next however long in his book, then the question is, Do you truly believe this about Jesus? Do you actually believe that this is true of him, that Jesus is the son of God? For thousands of years, God promised to send the one that would save the people, a king to reign and a king to give up his life for us. 
And again, I wonder if you have ever, like me, have struggled to believe that God will be faithful on these promises. You know, this is, uh, just as a confession, this is one of my greatest struggles in life, is to actually believe that God will come through on what he promises. When I can't see the plan ahead of me, when, I, when it feels like it's been months or years that I've been praying for something and God just isn't answering, one of my greatest heart struggles is that I just don't believe that God's actually going to be faithful. You know, I, I need to know in life that there is someone I can count on, someone I can trust. I need to know if God will be faithful, if God can be relied on, if he can be trusted, if I can put my life in his hands, if I can hope in him for eternity. I got to know that if I'm going to follow. I got to need to know, is God going to be faithful to me? Well, Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 looks at this question and he says, you can trust in God because all of his promises are yes and amen in Christ. That because he sent Christ to save your soul, it's proof that he will be faithful. He will provide for you. He will guide you. He sent his own son to die on a cross to save you and redeem you back to himself. If he wouldn't spare his son, what more would he leave out? That he sent his son to die so that you could be his and he will be faithful. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And so to respond, Jesus actually in verse 15 calls people to faith and repentance. That you would repent and believe in this message. That the king has come. That the kingdom is at hand. That the gospel is for you. That God is faithful because he provided Jesus. And so I would ask this morning again, do you believe that God is faithful? That this is the son of God, that Jesus came out of love for you to die on a cross so that you in faith could be saved. I'd ask even for some of you who maybe uh, aren't Christians this morning, you haven't believed this message and you're here, I would ask, would you consider Jesus? Would you see him as the true son of God, the one who died for you and will lead you? For Christians in the room, for us at Providence, would we trust in the faithfulness of God because of Jesus? Would we see him as the fulfillment, the true son of God that isn't just a distant king who doesn't want anything to do with us, but the king who came to be with us and who now guides us for eternity, who has united us with him? Would we trust in this faithfulness? Would we trust in God? So if you, if you are new this morning, And you feel like something is kind of stirring inside and you're feeling like, man, maybe I do need to believe in this message. What we're going to do is we're going to have a couple people in the very back uh, that would love to pray with you. Whether you want to just say, I don't know what's going on, but there's something and I'm, I'm trying to consider this. Would you go back and just talk to someone and pray with them? Or maybe today I would encourage you that you would place your faith in Jesus, that you would humble yourself before Jesus and say, I know that he is the king And that he loved me to the point of dying for me. That all my sins can be forgiven and I can be made new in him. If you would make that decision today, I'd encourage you, go to the back. 
Tell them, have them pray for you and celebrate with you. And then for us as a church, if you have believed in this message, what we're going to do here in a minute is we're going to take communion. And communion is essentially a a symbol of us coming forward, taking a, a, a cracker and dipping it in juice, symbolizing the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And as you do that, what you're doing is you're saying, in this act of Jesus dying for me, shedding his blood for me, I am placing all my hope and faith in him. It is by him that I live. It is by him that I move, that, that he is everything. So if you're a believer in that, would you come forward and take communion this morning? If you are not, if you're still wrestling, I would just ask for you to, to remain seated or go in the back and pray uh, because this is, as you come forward and you take this, it is you saying that my faith is in Christ. And so we're going to pray here. I'd invite the band um, to come up. And how we're going to do communion is uh, everything here is gluten-free. So if you're gluten-free, you're good. Um, But what we're going to do is we're going to have two stations up front. And if you guys want, whenever you're ready, we're going to sing and worship. Um, But when you're ready, if you'd come out the middle aisle, come down to receive the elements, and then head back around the side. So let me pray for us, and then let's sing. Father... I thank you that you are faithful, that we can know that you are faithful because you sent your son to die for us. And Jesus, you now have risen from the grave to reign as king forevermore, that you are uh, with us and you have united yourself to us. Would we follow you? Over the next nine weeks, would we be centered on who you are and would that shape us? Would that change us? Jesus, we need you and we pray that you'd be with us in this moment. Pray in Jesus' name.